Our text for this morning is Psalm 89, verses 19 through 37. And this is God's word for us today. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law, and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes, and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod, and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring will endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. Selah. Will you pray with me? Father, we say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your covenant promises. Lord, we want this day to rightly, properly magnify you. We want to know you. We want to glorify you. Help us do that, even as we see your story and your covenant um, and the great fulfillments of your promise. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. When the wise men brought gifts to the child Jesus, they brought items that were perfectly proper for the one that they came to praise. Did they know? Did the wise men know that frankincense, a perfume used in offerings to God, was a right gift for a child who is God with us? Or did they know that that myrrh, which is a perfume used sometimes to prepare a body for burial, that that was proper for the one who would die as a sacrifice to pay the price for our rebellion against the Lord? I don't know. But I know, without question, that those men knew they were bringing gold as a proper gift to a new king. Well, last week we began a three-part look at Psalm 89. And in the first 18 verses of the psalm, we found many reasons to praise God. We saw that God is faithful. We saw that God is over all of creation. 
He's mighty, he's holy, he's worthy of praise. And we marveled at the fact that in this season, we celebrate that Jesus is God with us, God in the flesh, God come to earth. All of the praise befitting God in verses 1 through 18 of Psalm 89 is right praise for the Lord Jesus. And all that praise should cause us to worship him in a unique way this Christmas season. Well, this morning we're going to go further in Psalm 89. As we look at the middle of the psalm, we'll see the focus shift from the praise of God and God's faithfulness to the promise of God and God's chosen king. In this, we'll find four key points. So if you're a note taker, make room. Point number one, God establishes his chosen king. Point number one, God establishes his chosen king. Verses 19 through 21 read, Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. In the, in the introduction to this psalm, we read verses 1 through 4 last week. And here again, starting in verse 19, we see reference made to a king, a chosen one, a man named David. We need to remember the history of God's people if we're going to remember what this is all about. So mentally, we're going to go back to the beginning and try to tell the story moderately quickly, but hopefully in a way that we can all be sure that we understand. You know, you know that God made everything, right? You with me on that? You know that God made people in His image. That, that we have a special responsibility to reflect the glory of God in the universe. And the people God made refused to follow God. Adam and Eve chose to follow the tricks of the devil. They chose to sin instead of living under the perfect kindness of God forever. And God could have killed Adam and Eve for their sin the moment they first even thought about it. But God's plan was bigger than to kill Adam and Eve. No, no, no. The sin of humanity, it did bring pain and hardship and death into the world, but God chose that he would show his kindness and mercy and grace. You see, because that had been God's plan from before creation. God made a promise that one day somebody was going to come into the world who would crush the devil, and the one to come is going to make things right between God and God's people. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God speaking to the deceiving serpent said, I will put enmity, that's hatred, between you and the woman. Boy, isn't that true? How many of you ladies love snakes? And, and, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That may not sound like a much of a promise if you don't know it, but that's the promise that somebody's coming to set this stuff right. 
Well, as God unfolded history, God chose one family to specially carry his promise of a redeemer to come. God chose Abram, changed his name to Abraham, and said that the peoples of the world would be blessed through someone who came from Abraham's family line. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 reads, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, the family of Abraham became the nation of Israel, a nation that had a special relationship with God. And as a people, Israel was going to have God's blessing so long as they lived in accord with God's commands. And the nation of Israel, God tells us, would eventually bring God's promised one into the world. Well, do you all want to guess whether Israel was good at following God as a nation? The people proved that left to ourselves, we almost always choose to do what dishonors God. And one sign of Israel's rebellion against God was they, they demanded that God give them a king. God had been leading the nation. God had been speaking to the people through prophets like Moses. But the people didn't want to follow God. They wanted a king that they could see so they could look like all the nations around them. You can read 1 Samuel chapter 8 for that story. Well, the first king that the nation got was a man named Saul, a man after the hearts of the people. Now, you guys know, don't you, that if the people choose their leader, they always pick a really good one, right? What? Well, Saul looked good. He was tall. He was handsome. But he lacked character. But the second king of Israel, he was a man after God's own heart. No, David wasn't perfect, but he was chosen by God. And he had a genuine desire to please God. And part of David's desire to please God was expressed in David's desire to build a temple for God. David didn't like the fact that David had a palace to live in, but the worship of God was taking place in a tent. David wanted to build God a house. Well, God told David through Nathan the prophet that David would not be the one to build the house for God. David's desire was good, but this wasn't David's job. But Nathan also told David that God had a plan for David's family, for David's house, that was really quite special. And we read of that plan in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Starting in verse 11 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Bible says this, Moreover, the Lord declares to you, Nathan talking to David, the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. 
But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before me. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. There are two really big promises in those verses, in those words to David from God. David's son is going to be the one who builds the temple for God. God's going to establish a kingdom through David and through David's son. And like God's promise to the nation of Israel as a whole, if David's son follows God, he and the nation are going to be blessed. But if David's son does not follow God, there's going to be pain in the nation. Then in verse 16, we see that God also promises that David's kingdom, that his, that his kingship, is going to be established forever. God is promising that he's going to set up the throne of David's family in such a way that somebody's going to rule on that throne forever. It's never going to completely fall. It's never going to completely fade away. There will be a king on that throne. So keep this in mind. God promised a person to come into the world to crush the devil and be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And God has promised that he will send a king into the world who will establish and reign on the throne of David forever. Well, verses 19 through 21 of the psalm we started to read here today, they remind us that God chose David as a special king and a special kingly family. God raised up David from the common people of Israel, and God sat David on the throne of Israel in great strength. God God anointed David, and God says he showed his strength in David. Psalm 89 verses 22 to 25 reads, The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. And those lines, you guys get it, right? Those show us how much God established David's family. Right, God gave David military strength. Enemies did not conquer David. Instead, God used David as his own servant to establish the nation from the sea to the rivers and everywhere in between. So we see God has made and kept some basic king and kingdom promises in and through David. But we've got to keep going to see something more significant. Yes, God established his chosen king. But point two tells us God exalts his chosen king. God exalts his chosen king. Stay with me in the story, okay? 26, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm for him. The relationship between King David and his God, it goes deeper than just having David as a, as a political leader. We can see that in the language of these verses, right? God calls David not just a king, 
but a son. David calls God not just a deity, but his father. Verse 27, God says he's going to make David his firstborn. What in the world does that mean? God's not making David the first human being ever born, right? That's kind of already been done. Neither is God making David the first human being to be adopted into the family of God. What God's doing is giving David special position. In Old Testament times, if you know the stories, families put high value on the firstborn son. As the thirdborn son in my family, I feel like this was inappropriate. <laughs> but it's okay, my mom still likes me best. Well, the firstborn son had the job to carry the family name. No matter what the rest of the family did, the firstborn son had to keep track of the family name and be the one who keeps heading that family. Of all the children, though, the firstborn son, he would become the leader. He would also receive double the inheritance of any other son in the family. That's the part I think is inappropriate myself. Now, David being called the firstborn, though, he is, this is God setting David in a special position of privilege in the world. God is blessing David with a tremendous responsibility and a great big reward. David gets to be called the firstborn son, the son with the right to carry on the name and the kingdom of God. And in verse 28, God reiterates the promise to David, God's steadfast love, his hesed, his, his never-ending covenant love is never, ever going to be removed from David. God's covenant promise is going to stand in David's family forever. God is going to set a descendant of David's on the throne forever. Now, it would be possible to read this if you didn't know the story and leap to a faulty conclusion. For example, if you read this, you would think, man, maybe David's going to live forever and be the king. But that wasn't the case. Even in the promise to David, it says, when you lay down with your fathers, he was going to die. And he did. Or you might think, well, maybe David's son, Solomon, and all the succeeding kings from David, maybe they're all going to follow God, and they're going to rule without incident perfectly forever. But that too is not what happened. And God speaks to what's going to happen in the next section. So point number three now. God keeps his covenant with his chosen king. God keeps his covenant. He establishes his chosen king. He exalts his chosen king. He keeps his covenant with his chosen king. Verse 29 says, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. There's the promise again, right? God is going to establish this throne, this kingdom forever. So long as the heavens and the earth exist, this kingdom is going to exist. Offspring of David, a descended king of David, is going to rule forever. Then verse 30, though, starts saying this way. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Does that feel weird to you in the light of what we've just been reading? 
I mean, you'd think after all the stuff God just promised, these concepts would be impossible to get to. How could a descendant of David's rebel against God? That doesn't make any sense. How could one of these men forsake the ways of the Lord and earn for themselves judgment? Well, God's absolutely clear. If somebody, Solomon, Rehoboam, any of the line to come, if they turn against God, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be chastening. There's going to be hardship. So future kings from David's line are not allowed to rest on their laurels. They're called on God to obey the word of God. They're called on God to keep the law of God. They were to govern the nation in righteousness. And if they ever failed to do so, God is going to bring the thunder. And it sounds, it sounds very much like the middle of the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7. If he disobeys, I'm going to chasten him. But then 33 and 34 of Psalm 89 read, But, but, I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. God says, even if I've got to judge the children of David, I'm going to be faithful. God's never going to alter the promise he made to David. God is never going to change his mind. God is faithful. You know what that means? God can never be false. God, this may sound self-evident, but God will always do what is godly. God will always be exactly what God is. God will always be holy and always be true. I, 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 don't, I don't know that I feel like your hearts are amazed enough by that. How consistent are you? Have you ever gotten up one day and just been a jerk and known it? Has your spouse ever gotten up one day and just been a jerk and you needed to let them know it? <laughs> and you know that that's not consistently what they are, right? But still, there's something about them that you're like, okay, you're not being you today. God never has a millisecond of inconsistency. Well, then 35 to 37 reads, Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me, like the moon it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies, Selah. So look at how firmly God swears here. God looks for something to swear by. Now, if you're going to swear, you always swear by the highest thing you can get hold of, right? Well, God does. God swears by himself. God swears by his own holiness. God will never, never lie. David is going to have enduring offspring. David is going to have a throne that endures forever. God compares the establishment of David's throne to the establishment of the sun and the moon. As the heavenly bodies are permanent fixtures in our sky, so too is David's throne going to be a permanent fixture. You might as well imagine the sun stopping existing as well as you could imagine the throne of David not having a descendant on it forever. Okay, would you all agree that sounds like a big promise? 
I mean, we've been storytelling all message long so far, right? And you guys feel there's a big, big promise. God establishes his chosen king. He picks David. God exalts his chosen king, making David a son, giving him the right of the firstborn king. God keeps his covenant with his chosen king. God's never going to let the covenant die, even if, even when David's children rebel, even when they earn judgment from God, the Lord is not going to let the covenant with David die. There's going to be a king come from David's family to rule forever. Which, by the way, and again, I'm risking an illustration, not in my notes, which is always dangerous, but isn't this the story of every good, huge story that's ever been told? Lord of the Rings fans? The return of the king, who's, we don't know how, but there's going to be a king come back and he's going to bring victory and healing. Story after story after story establishes somebody to stand forever and make right what's wrong. If we tie everything we've heard back to the big story of the Bible, which we started telling at the beginning, we see some very important truths. God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a nation. But in that promise, there were conditional and unconditional parts, right? God said unconditionally, I'm going to preserve the family of Abraham so that I bring the promised one to earth. The one who's going to crush the devil, as we saw in Genesis 3, the one who's going to set things right between God and God's children, I will bring that through Abraham no matter what. But the nation that comes from Abraham is also going to face the judgment of God if they refuse to follow God and his ways. Both are true. Very similarly, what did God promise David? A promised king is coming from your family line. God will unconditionally bring about in the family this this promised king. And that king's kingdom is going to last forever. But at the same time, if the descendants of David refuse to obey the Lord and God's commands, they are going to face the chastening of God. What we know What makes this all super important, what what makes this worth most of a sermon is that the promised rescuer from the line of Abraham is the same as the promised king to come through the line of David, the one who is going to crush the head of the devil, the one who sets things right with God and man. That is the one descended through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David. And it's through that descendant of Abraham and David that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And you guys know, don't you, that the word of God points us to the coming of that king, that promised one. Listen to just one passage of the Old Testament that talks about it. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 reads, For to us a child is born. How much promise has been about a child coming? To us, a son is given. How much son language have we already seen? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Where? 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah says there's a promised king coming. And what a joy is it going to be when this king reigns? He's going to be the promised son. He's the firstborn like David. He's going to govern and govern rightly. Can you imagine a world in which the ruler is actually righteous? There's going to be no conspiracy. No, No hearings into campaign fraud. No nasty tweets. No backroom dealings. No, no, no using evil organizations to gain political clout. There's not going to be any compromising of righteousness to get votes. There will be a ruler over the whole world who is right in every way. And the one to reign is going to be a wonderful counselor, perfect in his wisdom. He's going to be the mighty God. He's going to be a father to the nations. He's going to be the prince of peace. His kingdom is going to have no end to its expanse. He's going to rule over nations, not just the nation of Israel. He's going to rule over all the nations. And God, 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 God set David's hands on, on the river and the sea. Yeah, but the king to come is going to reign over even more. The king to come is going to rule on David's throne over the whole globe and it's going to last forever just like God promised David and you've got to get all this so that you can see what's glorious in the final point you have to see the promise you have to know that God promised a rescuer you have to know that God promised a king to come you have to know that God made a promise that for a thousand years after David looked unfulfilled and impossible to fulfill. Point number four, Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. All the hope of the world rests on one promise. God promised a person to come who would crush the devil. God promised a person to come who would rule on the throne of King David. God promised that this one to come will rule over the entire world forever reigning in righteousness. And now I just want you to hear some familiar words about the Lord Jesus. We can't unpack them all. Matthew 1 verse 1 says it is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you not hear how significant that sounds? Matthew says Jesus is the son of David and he's the son of Abraham. He fits every part of the profile of the promised one. Or Luke 1, 26 through 38. We've heard that already this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Did you hear all of that? How many promises rang in your ears? How much of the old story was ringing? Jesus is going to have the throne of his father, David. Jesus is going to reign over Israel forever. There's going to be no end to his kingdom. This is just like what God promised David so many years before. He is the king who has been promised. He is the true son of God. He's not made the firstborn. He is the true son of God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. We read this this morning as well. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is God with us. We learned that last week. And Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn over all creation. Listen, that does not mean Jesus is part of creation. Jesus is not a creature. God said he would make David be his firstborn. Now we see that Jesus is the one who actually holds the ultimate right of the firstborn. He holds the right of preeminence. He holds the right of being the number one over all of creation. Everything that exists does so by Jesus' power and for Jesus' glory. Everything that exists is by Jesus and for Jesus. And one last thought. Jesus is a righteous judge and a king. Verses 11 to 16 of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then John says, I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. 
Those are crowns, if you don't know what that means. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. Jesus has the throne of David. Jesus will return to this world, this earth, and reign forever. Jesus will fulfill every last one of God's promises. And with that, just those simple thoughts, I want to give you three things to consider as we close. First, you must bow to Jesus as king. He is the one and only true king. He's the one and only true Lord over all. If you turn away from Jesus, you have only the wrath of Jesus to face. But if you will yield to Jesus, you will have life in his name. Believe in Jesus and turn from sin to be saved before it's too late. That's one thing. Second, if you know Jesus, and I'm going to guess most of you do here on a Sunday morning, know him as your king. Surrender to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Look forward to the return of Jesus. Live to the glory of Jesus until the day he comes. And third and finally, here we are, and it's Christmassy. Please let this look at the big story of the Bible remind you that Christmas is about God fulfilling the promise to send the king. Jesus, God with us, king of kings, came to earth as a human being to save our souls. So this season, sing about him coming, the king of kings. Celebrate his coming. Don't let yourself only see a sweet little baby in a manger. That's great. See the king over all the universe. And, and call on other people to get under the authority of Jesus and to get under his grace before it's too late. The wise men brought gold to the child Jesus and it was a right gift to bring the one who is king. May we give the Lord Jesus proper worship as our God and our king. Will you bow with me? Father, I am very grateful for your word. I'm grateful for an overarching, universe-encompassing story of God and King who came to save our pe his people. Lord, you know we are desperately in need of your grace 
and we're desperately in need of the ability to obey. Help us this morning, Lord, to see that the Lord Jesus is our King and help us to respond to the Lord Jesus as our King, our Master, our Lord. Help this season never to be just about baubles, but let it be a season in which we thank you, Father, for sending the King. Lord, if we don't know Jesus, help us to know him today. And for all who do know Jesus, help us to surrender to him today. We pray in his holy name. Amen.